It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store, as always. We're going to uh, explore a lot of different things on today's show. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with um, author Susie Newell, author of The Path 365. She talks about... uh, practical science about the way one copes and how it affects the brain's ability to be happy. In the middle of our three-hour tour, the second hour, we're going to talk with Wall Street Journal best-selling author Ken Rusk about his new book, Blue Collar Cash. And uh, we start out this morning talking with the co-authors of a book called Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus by Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy L. Robinson Wood, and they join me by phone. Janie, Tracy, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for inviting us. Um, We're happy to be here. Let, let's, um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to get into uh, some context on this book, because you um, are... are both experts in the the developmental and identity challenges of young people of color. And your book suggests um, some ways to deal with uh, some of the problems fitting in on campus. Can Can we sort of start there? What is the experience like for black sure. women on campus? That, that's an excellent um, way to start. Um, so this is uh, Dr. Ward speaking, and I have over 35 years of experience of teaching in predominantly white colleges and universities. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen over time is that there has been much greater focus on recruitment and retention of students who traditionally have not gone to these predominantly white institutions. Students with um, minoritized identities, black students, Latino, um, uh, indigenous, um, students with gender nonconforming identities. And, you know, there's a lot of attention these days on diversity and equity and inclusion. So it's a really different time in college campuses. That's a good thing, right? We recognize that college isn't just about career preparation. There's more of an emphasis on self-exploration and identity development, critical thinking, and all the research out there says that students who feel like they belong to an institution have a greater chance 
um, for retention and success. Now, that is what we know about um, what works in schools, but we also know that when it comes to mentoring, those relationships between faculty and administrators and students, sometimes things start to fall apart, right? Um, there are some schools and faculty and administrators who are old school, right? They haven't kept up with the times. They haven't seen a whole lot of need to change their teaching practices or their mentoring practices. And most importantly, since we're talking about black women, they don't even know what black women are facing on campus. So for instance, some of the things that Tracy and I get to hear um, as black professors when students come into our offices um, and tell us stories. They tell us that um, sometimes they are uh, called out of their name, meaning that a professor, they may have an unusual name, and the professor for some reason just can't figure out how to pronounce it. Or maybe they're assumed to be the housekeeping staff when they walk across campus. Um, maybe they are told that they are taking the seat of a more deserving white student, right? These are the kinds of um, what we call microaggressions, invalidations that students are feeling um, left and right. And sometimes they share this with their white professors and administrators, but often they're nervous about how do you jumpstart a conversation with somebody who's white who may not necessarily be receptive to the conversation. So that's why we wrote the book. Our book talks about the issues that black women are facing in college campuses, and it is an invitation to white college um, staff, faculty, and administrators who are in mentoring relationships. Very often they are white women, and we can talk later about why that happens. But it's an invitation for those people to learn what they need to learn so that they can be in healthy, open, effective um, mentoring relationships uh, with their black students. What about the, uh, the students themselves? Um, when you talk about... Uh, the the title of the book is Sister Resistors, and it and it sort of hints at at having students stand up and and say when things aren't going right. Um, is that what you intend? Well, um, that's a great question, Tom. I I do believe that um, we speak about the importance of naming. Uh, racism and other acts of oppression. And certainly students can be allies uh, to one another and advocates of themselves and one another. Um, but we also want the mentors in their lives who are disproportionately white women on college campuses to be able to detect racism and name it and have the tools and the resources and the strategies to join with, the, with their black mentees um, and be able to say, this is 
uh, not okay. This is racism. This is gendered racism. Uh, this is xenophobia. This is whatever the um, discrimination is. And to not be like a deer in, in headlights or to be overwhelmed to the point of silence, but to be able to detect what is going on and to feel like she can confidently and confidently um, move forward uh, with her mentee, uh, with the strategy as to how to just not deal uh, ineffectively with the situation, but, but how to uh, address it and how to re replace it with something that is much more um, justice-oriented. Uh, so, so, yes, I think it is, we, we do speak, Danny and I speak about the importance of facing and naming um, these uh, experiences on campuses that, that need to be discussed and not uh, ignored. And oftentimes, if we feel like there is something we're encountering that we're confused about or overwhelmed about, or we think, I should know that, uh, and there is in the sense of where do I go to shrink my uncertainty, then people will oftentimes deflect and deny and look away. And that ultimately uh, abandons the, the student and doesn't give them a chance to um, be supported uh, in an effective way. Are you um, suggesting then that the the mentor programs on college campuses um, be adjusted and utilized so that young students of color can go to their mentors when they su suspect something is not right about the way they're being treated? Um, and 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 then what exactly should happen? So one of the things that I think a lot of people need to understand is that very often on campus, um, what we call a mentoring program is can be kind of loosey goosey, right? There are a lot of mentors out there who are basically assigned to a mentee. They might be in a particular discipline or a particular department that has a mentoring program, and they turn to a professor or they turn to um, somebody and say, okay, you're going to be working with Janisa, right? And there may not be a lot of training. It's just like, go ahead and do it. Or in some other in, uh, instances, um, a university may receive a pot of money to start a mentoring program, and they too might have, you know, a week or two of training, right? But it is not in-depth, and what we have found is that very often the one thing that they don't talk a lot about is race and how do you work with someone across racial differences, right? So as a result... We often have um, white women in situations where they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I do this? How do I uh, build a relationship and sustain a relationship with somebody whose experiences I don't quite totally understand? So because we don't prepare mentors really well for their mentoring responsibilities, we are um, arguing that it's really important that mentors build the capacity to be able to talk about race, right? 
to be able to listen closely when a student is talking about race, and to be actively involved in trying to figure out what needs to be done, what strategies do we need to adopt right now that can help a student to navigate whatever situation she's going through. But let's be honest, mentees also need to be honest and forthcoming about academic issues and social issues because a lot of young black students have been socialized to, you know, hold back. You know, they they heard from their mamas and their dad, you know, don't go in there talking about race because, you know, not all white people can handle this. And sometimes black students can find themselves deep in some, you know, real trouble because they have not reached out. So building and sustaining relationships across race is what um, this book is all about. How do we ensure that, that students are getting the best education they can and aren't distracted by these issues? Well, it's a question, Tom. Um, You know, I I believe that parents certainly want to know that their children are getting a great uh, academic uh, education. And yet, as developmental psychologists, that um, that whole person is going to campus. And so that whole self needs to certainly be developed. So there is going to be a certain amount of distraction internally and externally. And we don't necessarily see that as a negative thing because we believe that there is some dissonance that comes with real growth uh, and learning. But we also realize that that distraction, uh, if there is an appropriate containment or support, can really derail a student's effort to be as focused um, as they as they can be. And isolation uh, is part of an, a derailment process. So if you have a student who um, has this sense, and they may not even be able to name it themselves, but there's this gnawing sense of being other, excluded, uh, not fitting in, feeling like perhaps your own lived experiences are not represented or valued, um, or feeling like conversations that are having in class um, are invalidating of your experiences or um, misrepresent your experiences as perhaps a first-generation black person or a black person who is a, from another country or a black person who um, is a member of the LGBTIQ community or a black person with a, a disability or um, just feeling as though um, this arc, this long arc of, of white centrality is, is dominant and that your particular perspective lived experience is being minimized. Um, to the extent that you have nowhere where you can help, uh, get some help of naming that or understanding, yes, this is what's going on, or I had this experience, or I hear you, um, that can be very lonely and very um, isolating. So we want to equip mentors with a big toolkit that Tracy, helps them to be able to hear these conversations. Yes, Tom. I, I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a short break here. Um, Tracy, Janie, oh, can no you worries. two stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Yes, absolutely. Okay, we'll continue after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do. Hello, we go to there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with our conversation with co-authors of a new book, Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus, by Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy L. Robinson Wood. And they join me by phone. Janie, uh, Tracy, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, it's fine. Thank you. (laughs) Um, In your book, you suggest um, four ways um, that uh, there are four um, sort of components to modeling a um, mentoring program. What what are those? Yeah, so um, let me back up just a, a teeny bit. Um, One of the things that I have discovered in um, my own personal research of talking with um, families, black parents who have raised black adolescents and young adults and young adults themselves is that um, there is this thing called racial socialization. And that is that parents often talk to their children about um, how to navigate their social um, world. And that is a world um, that includes racism. It's a world that um, often gives black kids messages that you don't belong, that you don't fit in, that you are less than. Jane, and, when, you yeah, say, yeah. when you say parents are telling their children, are you talking about black parents telling their black am, children? I am talking about black parents talking to um, their black children. Now, um, not all black parents talk to their children in the same way, right? Not uh, Black folks are not a monolith. There's a tremendous amount of diversity out there um, that Tracy has uh, mentioned, Um, diversity in ethnicity, in nationality, in immigrant status. Uh, in gender orientation, right? So we are not all the same. But the one thing that we do have in common is that when we um, arrive here in the United States, we often have a qualitatively different experience growing up that is based on having to live in the skin that we're in. So parents start to communicate to their kids that there are certain kinds of things that you have to resist, right? You have to resist people who are trying to demean you. You have to resist people who are trying to invalidate who you are or discount who you are. And um, because those are the things we have to hold on to, to have a positive sense of self, um, which will allow you to move through the world. Okay, so now this child grows up and the child comes to college. The kid, also, the kid is now thinking, all right, so what are the resistance strategies that I need to put in place in order to be able to navigate this predominantly white environment? So what we are saying is that that work of creating effective resistance strategies 
that young women are engaged in is something that white women can learn too, right? And one way that white women can learn how to do this is to think about their own experiences, right? So when a white mentor is sitting there listening to a black student give her a story about something that might have happened in class, you know, um, there was a professor who doesn't think that I'm trying hard enough and he's embarrassing me in front of everybody. The white mentor can think, wow, how would I react in a situation like that? What would I say? What, how would I resist being devalued in that way? The reason we want white women to get in touch with their own histories of resistance, it could be around gender bias, it could be around social economic bias when they were growing up. The reasons we want her to get in touch with her resistance is that she can then bring that knowledge, her experiences, into the work of helping a black woman um, create an appropriate resistance strategy in the college setting. Okay, so that's the idea of the sister resistors. Let me a let me white ask you just and a black woman working together. Let me just ask a little bit about this idea of resistance, and and I I really kind of started out this way when I talked about um, you've got resist right in the title, sister resistors. Um, how do you how do you come up with a strategy for resistance? that doesn't add more tension to a situation? Well, you know, it's, it's a great question, Tom. <clears throat> Certainly we understand that resistance tends to have negative connotations. Um, it, it's uh, referred to in terms of in psychology as somebody who is not perhaps showing up for their therapy sessions. Uh, or not doing their homework, something that's oppositional, right? So we uh, understand that there is this uh, negative overlay with that term. Uh, resistance, though, honors and acknowledges that there are forces in women's lives that they didn't create, but they are nonetheless responsible for contending with, and that in order to not be derailed by these forces, they have to learn how to navigate their way through them. And we argue that resistance, optimal resistance, is critical to that, which means you have to be awake and aware to these forces and your interaction with them. So there is an acknowledgement of uh, tension without being impaled by it. So uh, there is a certain level of um political liberation, socio-political liberation, we believe, that comes from being able to know that as a woman, whether you're white or Asian or, or a Latina um, or, or black, that you have certainly been impacted by patriarchy, the objectification of women and women's bodies, uh, that women certainly make less money uh, than men, uh, that there's a history of uh, misogyny, and, and sexism, that even though we are in the 21st century, 
um, and it's a uh, lots of incredible strides have been made, we still in this country deal with that long arc of inequity with regards to one's gender and one's sexuality and one's melanin content. Uh, and to be aware of that, not to be, again, um, derailed by it to the point where you are um, unable to live your best life, but to name it and then be able to clearly say, what are my options? What are my tools? Who are my allies? Where do I go for support? What does optimal resistance look like to be able to navigate this well? And what does suboptimal resistance look like? And so we argue that suboptimal resistance uh, is seeking to numb oneself from the barrage, if you will, of pain um, and discrimination, uh, which we connect with um, substances uh, or um, practices that hurt the self. It can feel good in the moment, um, a consistent pattern of, of numbing oneself with, with food. Uh, it can feel good, but in the long run, is it does it serve your body, your life, your mind, your spirit well? So yes, those are the kinds of that's the psychological um, theory of resistance that Janie and I had developed um, over three decades ago that is um, the foundation for our sister resistors model and theory. Well, and at its simplest, it, it um, the mentoring model has, what, four steps. Read it, name it, oppose it, and replace it. Is oppose it the... the um, resistance part of this uh, model? It is. It, it is. But in order to oppose it, we, um, we want uh, students to be able to first read the situation, right? You might be in a classroom and something's going on. Um, how do you figure out um, what the problem is. Read it, the first step of the model, refers to observing, listening, um, and picking up on patterns of discrimination. You read your environment, you figure out um, who's saying what and who's doing what, right? Um, the second step is naming it. And naming it is about determining if something is sexist, or racist, or um, some other ism is working, um, uh, is going on. Now, this is really important because not everything is about racism. Not everything is about sexism. To determine if it is requires critical thinking skills that deep intellectual interrogation and investigation all of those kinds of things that we teach and value in higher education, right? It also um, requires emotional coping skills because when you determine that a professor might be acting in a way that is racist, that hurts, right? That, that um, there could be an emotional impact with that kind of knowledge, right? One of the things we know about oppression is wherever there's oppression, there is always resistance. And so the third step is about opposing um, whatever the oppression is. Fighting back, 
pushing back, standing up. It could be done in any number of ways. Sometimes the um, pushback is external. We have so many stories of black students um, getting together with other black students, maybe making an appointment to go and talk to the dean about some injustice that they see on campus. That's an external effort of resistance. But sometimes the resistance can be internal, right? Um, the student can say, I've got to change something about the way that I am behaving. I have to increase um, a certain kind of behavior or decrease another kind of behavior. So when we talk about opposing it, um, there are a large variety of ways that that can happen. Do we and wait, then, do we wait yeah? too long in getting to that point where we're going to resist or oppose and, and we end up acting perhaps more aggressively than is really necessary? Yes. <laughs> and that's why I think, that's why resistance is, learning how to resist well is so, so, so very important. Tracy and I have found that a lot of black students come into the university knowing that they have to resist. You know, they, some of them come in with their boxing gloves on. Right? <laughs> but <laughs> if they don't have those keen discernment skills, if they don't have um, the ability to create the right resistance strategy for the moment, they can end up in a situation in which um, uh, uh, they are overreacting, right? Or they are fighting the wrong battle. And that's why it's so important for adults who are caring, who are understanding, to get in there as a sister resistor, provide the kind of guidance um, that young women need to navigate effectively. And then the, the most important, well, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's certainly equally important to the other steps is the replace it component. And that's the thing we always seem to struggle with. What do we do instead? Absolutely. And, and that is where we certainly... When we think about DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's also the social justice piece to that. And so replacing uh, involves replenishing in terms of uh, this is difficult work to be able to read a situation and name that it is um, discriminatory um, and to be able to have allies to join with you in a spirit of collaboration and refueling. To, to be able to push back well, because not all pushing back is optimal, right? Sometimes you can push back in a way where you are creating harm for yourself and other people. And to have the uh, cognitive clarity um, and flexibility to be able to pivot as need be or be able to say, I need, as Janie was saying, to do something more or something less. So uh, as Janie was saying, not all acts um, that young people will encounter uh, that are difficult uh, is because there is racism. It could be, for example, a student may say, wow, this 
professor is being racist toward me. There's actually a vignette in the book. Um, and the mentor basically says, so is it racism or is it that the professor uh, has some strong feelings about the fact that you keep coming to their class late? <laughs> and so what would happen if we just tried for you to, over the next four class periods, for example, show up uh, on, on time? So, so basically the replacing uh, is the replenishing, but also being able to replace the isms with this collaboration, with this social justice, with inclusion, with dialogue, with efforts that are tangible where people can say, this is what we can do, uh, and this is who we can join with to do this work. And what is it that other people have done historically to push back against racism? Because this is not the only time, certainly in the history of, of Homo sapiens, where people have you know, basically said, foul, we're not going to put up with this, and this is how we push back. Um, without struggle, there is no progress, as, as Frederick Douglass said. So, so we want students to be uh, mindful and, and have wise mind regarding what has been done before with regards to the history of, of these movements for social justice, and not just with respect to race, but also with these other multiple identities. And that is the beauty of college campuses when uh, professionals do their DEI work well. It doesn't just benefit the black and brown and queer bodies. It should benefit all students on that campus, irrespective of the skin that you're in, uh, to be able to be elevated in your thinking and in your actions uh, and in your feelings with regards to inclusion and equity. Then in the replace it component, it, it may be um, changing behaviors on, on all sides of an interaction. It could be. It, and, and it can include um, the fact, the acknowledgement that as I change and perhaps as I as a student change and perhaps as the mentor changes too, that we come to a different place. And that new place that we're at is a place that we can both breathe together, right? And we take in that breath that allows us to be able to um, rekindle the resistance spirit. Because we know that upending injustice or, or addressing these um, moments of discrimination are, are never-ending, right? Hopefully, students are in schools where they don't have to do this every single day. But one of the things that we know as black women is that um, sometimes our college campuses might be an environment in which you um, have fewer of these experiences than you might get when you get out there into the professional world. So we think of the college campus as a setting in which black women can try out lots of different strategies and build a repertoire of tools that she can use when she goes out into the world as an educated professional woman. Right? That, that's a great um, way to put it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So it should be growth-producing, 
right? Give her those tools of resistance that she's going to take out into the world and, um, and create the best life that she can um, have. My guests are uh, Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy L. Robinson Wood, co-authors of Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus. They are experts in the developmental and identity challenges of young people of color, and they share a new approach in uh, sisters, sister resistors, rather. Um, Janie and, and Tracy, we're, we're getting close to the end, and I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to start. But do you um, have uh, a website or websites that you'd like to share? We do not have uh, a website, um, but our book is uh, available um, through our publisher, Harvard Ed Press, um, and people can certainly buy it um, at Amazon um, and, um, and in many local outlets as well. And if it is not there, then you can often ask that they order it, um, and then it would be available where people are locally. I was just wondering where people might go to learn maybe a little bit more about you and your work, past, present, and future. So both of us um, have, you know, a lengthy history of um, research. <laughs> um, Tracy has been a clinical and counseling psychologist for many years and has also conducted research looking at um, uh, black women's issues. I have uh, lots of articles out there and a couple of books that have looked at um, the kinds of messages that black parents give to their children to prepare them for the world. Um, and so that's one way in which you can um, read about, read a little bit more in depth about our ideas of resistance. But, you know, there's one thing that I would like all of our listeners to remember, and that is that mentoring is about building relationships. Sometimes we forget that piece, and sometimes we sit there and we think, well, a good mentor is supposed to be the person who knows everything, and that the mentor is the senior, the student is the junior, the student is just a, a, a blank slate waiting to be filled with knowledge. Well, it doesn't quite work like that, especially when you're working across race. Sometimes that junior, the student, the young black woman, knows more about how the world works than the senior white woman. And that means these two people have to listen to each other. Perfect so, note Perfect at note. the heart, absolutely, at the heart, learn how to listen to each other. That's a perfect place to end. And thank you both. I, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. I feel like we've <laughs> just scratched the surface. But thank you for sharing your thoughts and your expertise. Thank, thank you, you for the invitation, Tom. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And with that, we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program right after this.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. much ladies and gentlemen fine fine welcome and it's certainly very gratifying to know that you feel this way and that you people have accepted my being able to sub for Johnny this week because it seems to have caused quite a bit of difficulty around here at NBC uh, earlier this evening I was in Johnny's dressing room and one of the wardrobe mistresses walked by and she sticks her head in the door she sees me and she says what are you doing in Johnny Carson's dressing room <laughs> catch you in here, this is the last time you're going to be on this show. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very glad. <laughs> I'm very glad that you feel that. We, we will, during the course of the week, find some way to overcome her problem and firmly convince her that NBC, without a doubt, has established within everyone's mind that it is the Full Color Network. <laughs> fun for me. It's this, this entire week is going to be fun. I've looked forward to it. And, uh, in fact, to stand here and act so cool. I'm excited. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. In the dressing room, I felt good. I was thinking, you know, just different ways of expressing the enthusiasm. And I was saying to myself, Woo! <laughs> well, it's made me think back. This is a long way from where I started. You know, I used to work in a drive-in movie. That's right, it was really rough. But it was fun. It was a hard job, but it was fun. I used to go around and shine the light in the car, tell people when the picture's over. <laughs> I got $25 a week and all I could see. <laughs> I'd walk around and say, the picture's over, the picture's over! <laughs> I tried a lot of things, I tried a lot of things. I feel that I'm prepared to assume the responsibility for well, this job, this is, well, this job is like, uh, I feel like this job is like being at a weenie roast with me being the weenie. <laughs> I just threw that in, you know? But, uh, yes, yes. I, I tried a lot of things. You know, coming along, I, uh, during my younger years, I tried, uh, I operated my own business. It was a lemonade stand, you know? And uh, it was doing pretty good. It, the way it went is I had a big sign over the lemonade stand called Flip's Lemonade, all you can drink for a dime. Well, that was great, and it was going along pretty well, but then you always run into a wise guy, you know? One day a guy comes up to the stand, he says, uh, is this lemonade as good as everybody says it is? And I said, you better believe it, this lemonade is just as good as what your mother used to make. And the guy said, hmm, that gotta be some very good lemonade. <laughs> I said, and in addition to that, I give you all you can drink for a dime. You can't beat that. See, so let me tell you how I fix this lemonade. I put extra sugar in the glass. So that when you turn the glass up to drink it, the lemonade starts swirling around and that makes the sugar swirl and lemonade gets sweeter as you go down. You know, as it goes down, makes it taste better. And uh, then the lemonade is very cold. I put extra ice in the pitcher and then I pack the pitcher in the ice. And I said, yeah, that's all right. He said, uh, give me a glass. So I gave him a glass and uh, he said, I'll have another glass. I said, well, that'll be another dime. He said, now, hold on. He said, the sign says all you can drink for a dime. I said, but you had a glass, didn't you? And I said, yes. I said, well, that's all you can drink for a dime. 
Joe caught on to that pretty quick, so I, I kind of cut the lemonade business loose. And I've worked toward tonight. And uh, during the course, now let me say, things are going to be a little different with Johnny not here. The whole purpose of the show is fun. We're going to try to have as much fun, you know. But other things will be different, such as uh, during the course of my opening spot, I'll eliminate Johnny's genuine, authentic golf swing. We won't have that this week. No, I wouldn't infringe upon the man's right to open. You know, that, that's not, that's his swing. You know, I swing another way. I got my own way. <laughs> but uh, if, if Johnny's looking in tonight, I was thinking of some way. I don't play golf myself. Well, the ball is too small. If the ball was a little larger, I'd play. Uh, but in the elevator, the hotel I'm staying at, coming up on the elevator, I heard two guys discussing the game, and I thought it was a pretty amusing conversation. One fellow says to the other, he said, uh, say, George, he said, how's your golf game coming? George said, it's all right. It's all right. The fellow said, you should be pretty good. You and Freddie playing every other day. George said, look, he said, don't mention Freddie's name to me. He said, I don't want to talk about Freddie, you understand? So don't bring his name up to me. The fellow said, but you and Freddie are such good friends. You guys play golf every other day. So I said, well, not anymore. So well, what happened? I said, look, I said, do you want to play with a guy who cheats on the score? Want to play with a guy who cheats? A guy who, if he makes a hole in one, he's going to take off two? <laughs> do you want to play with, you want to play with a guy who, who steals your clubs while you're watching the ball because somebody's already got your bag? <laughs> Do you want to play with a guy who will run through the clubhouse yelling, burn, baby, burn? Do <laughs> you want to play with a guy like that? And the fellow said, heck no. He said, well, neither do Freddy. <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
remember when the day is done and your tired mind says that the race is run. Your people tell you something that you know deep down is true. Oh yeah, when you put on that old record, blues will take good care of you. show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 